Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu. Welcome everyone to the Umrapreneur Live podcast with none other than Sheikh Abdurrahim Green, my special guest today. And let me tell you guys, I couldn't be more honored to have him on the, with me, inshallah, on this special episode. And just to give you guys a bit of background on Sheikh Abdurrahim, for those of you who don't know him, which I know uh, it's, it's probably very few of you who don't know him because he's a world-renowned speaker and authority in the field of da'wah, mashallah. And he spent many years at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park, where he made his name as an inspirational orator. He's been delivering talks nationwide in universities, on international platforms. And many of his lectures and talks are watched by hundreds of thousands of people online. But the reason why I'm bringing you on today, Sheikh, and I'm so honored, I'm so excited for our conversation, is because today we're going to talk about his perspective on entrepreneurship. And Sheikh Rahim is a founding member and chairman of Ayura. And this is an organization, if you guys aren't familiar with it, that the purpose of it is to advance the prophetic mission intelligently and compassionately sharing it with the world. So they've been working in hundreds of countries across the world. They've been impacting lives of thousands of people, calling them back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following in the footsteps of our beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu ya shaykh. Welcome to the podcast. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Thanks I'm for so, playing, bro. I'm, honestly, the pleasure is all mine, Yashak, and I know how precious your time is. And so I just want to thank you for, you know, taking some time to get on here to give us your perspective on entrepreneurship and, you know, share your value with our audience today, because we cater to a lot of Muslim entrepreneurs. And, you know, this is a space right now that actually isn't very popular. It's not very big. It's It doesn't have much attention. And a lot of Muslim yeah. entrepreneurs, they feel left out. They feel like, you know, the only place they can turn to is non-Muslims. Uh, so I'm really, I really appreciate you coming on because this is a chance for us to actually bring someone, you know, that has that experience and that's built, mashallah, an amazing organization that, you know, has impacted thousands of lives and to come in here and share their perspective. And I really appreciate you for that. So Jazakallahu khairan for doing this. So Sheikh, I guess the first place and the best place to start is... I want to know because you're very much, you know, entrepreneurial in all that you've done so far, right? And, yeah. and you might not think of yourself as an entrepreneur, you know, people might not look at you as an entrepreneur, but I very much see you as an entrepreneur. I mean, with what you've done so far to help spread the message of Islam and build Ayera to where it is today, I, a good place to start is where did the idea come for creating Ayera, right? How did the idea even spark in yeah. your mind? Well, I guess it's just, you call it a social enterprise, isn't it? That's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, okay. So it's quite interesting. So, um, I, you know, my, my life's been um, somewhat of an entrepreneurial journey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never, I never understood what this nine to five stuff was about. I, right. I just never got it. It the, the whole thing looked like a horror story to me. And of course, the more I studied it, the more I realized it's all based on a big lie. I mean, it's yeah. just a big lie. The mm-hmm. idea that somehow you could work a nine to five job and at the end of it, come out rich, yeah, and retire. It's just a joke, you know. Right. I mean, okay, you might come, you might, if you're lucky, come out comfortable, but you won't come out rich. You'll never get rich from a nine to five job. It just mm-hmm. won't happen. Um, not rich on any, you know, real scale, right? Like, yeah, you could maybe you could be comfortable, and uh, you know, so many of the of the things that the whole nine to five lifestyle or the whole nine to five ideology or was built upon are being ripped down but day by day and you know the 
pandemic has just shown how fragile it is. I mean, maybe in the time of my dad, you could think that, yeah, you could do a nine to five job and you could retire comfortably and you could do the same job in the same company for 30, 40, 50 years and work your way up. This just doesn't happen anymore. Um, these are just not the realities of the world for most mm -hmm. people. And so, um, yeah, I mean, for lots of different reasons, I, I've never, I've never really adhered to that. I never liked the idea of sitting behind a desk. Um, so, I mean, subhanAllah, I've, I, so I've had various entrepreneurial adventures and like many entrepreneurs, a lot of them, I wouldn't say were failures. Some have been total failures. Um, some have really just ticked along and sort of helped bring sort of extra cash yeah right. basically you know to keep me above the the right. water line um so um but interestingly enough one of the um things that i did with my good friend yusuf chambers he's another person he's well i you should get him on as well yeah yusuf i have a lot to say to you mashallah and probably maybe maybe more value on this topic as well mm. but one of the things that yusuf was is very good at was and still is is he is someone who, if you wanted to initiate a project, he's a genius at that. Right. He just knew how to, he was an amazing networker. He just knew how to pull all the different things, you know, all the different strings together <clears throat> to make a project happen and to get it going. He is not the person that wants the projects going to keep it going. Yeah. But if you yeah. want to get it off the ground, he was brilliant at this. Right. Um, and, you know, he was doing these, he was basically doing this project. You could call it project initiation for various, mm -hmm. you know, charities and organizations and stuff like that. And, you know, they were really not paying him very that well. Right. I mean, right. You know, to be honest, he wasn't, you know, and I kept saying, bro, you should do this as a business. You should start this as a proper business. Stop working for this person here and that person there and start a proper consultancy and start. And I just kept going on and on and on at him the whole time. Like, you've got to do this. And so one day he took the step and he did. He started it. But he decided that he was going to get me on board as well. Right. <laughs> Um, and, um, because, you know, I, I guess I was sort of quite interested in marketing and had a little bit of experience with that, with, um, marketing videos and so on and so forth. So, um, we started a company, we started, uh, um, yeah, a consultancy called green and chamber, green and chambers consulting, which was basically, that's what we did. We consulted in marketing and advertising project initiation. So if people wanted to open a mosque or start a project or something, the whole idea is they could come to us and we would develop their branding, their website, uh, and just start putting the project together for them. So, um, that's really what we started doing. And alhamdulillah, from the point of view of revenue, we were very successful. I mean, it's quite a lot of money coming through our bank account. But unfortunately, there wasn't that much money coming into mine and Yusuf's bank account. So that's like, the story of every business, I believe. Is, I think at one stage, we, you know, we had probably, you know, five or 10 employees. Everyone was being paid very well, except me and Yusuf weren't being paid very well. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the. the, the Obviously, there's many lessons that any good entrepreneurial coach will tell you. Don't undervalue yourself. We undervalued ourselves. But it was a very tough market to break into, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to, you know, well, I am going to say some 
things that may be considered, uh, you know, what do you call it, um, <laughs> generalizations about a race. But Pakistanis, at least in this country, are very well known for, you know, you could say, if I put it politely, striking a hard bargain. Or maybe trying <laughs> to get that. out of the stone. Or maybe trying to make you work for nothing hmm. uh, when you should be paid properly for it. And even worse, when it comes to anything from the dean, they expect it all to be free. Although they quite happily pay a non-Muslim huge amounts of money to do the same thing, they expect you as a Muslim to do it for absolutely nothing, right? This is the type of nonsense that still exists within our communities, right? Um, as opposed to, for example, the Jewish community who do exactly the opposite, right? They, they will employ someone from their own community, even if they're not really that competent, but they will bring their competence levels up and they will employ them, right? So that their own community develops the skills. Unfortunately, the Muslims, certainly not in this country, are like that. And this is what we really, really struggled with. And it wasn't just, by the way, the Pakistanis. Uh, the Arabs were exactly the same that we were dealing with. Like pretty much everybody we were dealing with was the same. And although we were offering a, a, what I still think was a remarkable service, like what we were offering people for virtually nothing, it was that's what broke us really. We were doing so much work for so little money. Um, and um, but Subhanallah, we were working with charities. A lot of them were not really competent, not really professional. Didn't get what we were going on about. Although I have to say, now everyone does get it. Um, and I guess we were uh, at the time we had a client. There was a well, we didn't have the client. There was there was a major charity that was supposed to become our major client for the next year, and unfortunately, we'd sort of put all our eggs in one basket thinking that these guys were going to be our major client. We were going to literally focus all our attention on them. But negotiations were horrific. They were so difficult to deal with. Um, and maybe they thought the same thing about us. But, um, yeah, but basically it's uh, this. The, here now, I'm making lots of enemies. I'm going to make a generalization about Arabs, right? But uh, one of the things about Arabs um, is that they love to think they know about stuff which they have no idea whatsoever. And they <laughs> think that. they're natural born <laughs> leaders and they're not. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that said, got my little thing off my chest. Um, yeah. So it just basically fell through. It fell through. And we were, Yusuf had gone to Morocco. I think he was fed up, gone with his family. And me and Sakib Sattar, who was working with us at the time, uh, we're sitting in the office, twiddling our thumbs, thinking, what are we going to do? And we thought, you know, we're so, and I, I think, I don't know which one of us said, you know, we're so busy criticizing all of these charities about how incompetent they are. Um, maybe we should put our money where our mouth is and see if we could do something better. And I was saying, well, what, what would we do? Because I really resent replicating stuff and doing stuff that everyone's already doing. And, you know, and we were discussing and we thought, well, how about dawah to non-Muslims? That's something that all three of us really cared about passionately. And we were doing that, even within Green and Chambers, off our own back, we were doing a lot of non-Muslim dawah, a lot of talks and lectures and stuff like that. It wasn't part of our business as such, but we were f financing it, I suppose you could say. And then we thought, well, I said, yeah, I'm sure that's a category of, you know, of charity, like within UK charity law, one of the categories is propagating religion. So we looked into it and sure enough, it was. And as far as we knew, there was almost, if I don't think there is a single 
uh, organization uh, or at the time that was dedicated to giving dawah to non-Muslims, right? I mean, there were dawah organizations that gave dawah generally, but focusing on non-Muslims. And we thought, you know, this is our passion. This is what we really care about. Why don't we do that? And so when Yusuf came back from Morocco, we pitched the idea to him and he said, this is brilliant. And that's it. And that's basically how IERA started. So we did have the benefit of, what was it, three, four, five years of running a marketing company um, behind us, plus all the designers, uh, the guys who could do the video editing, you know, lots of experience in organizing events and Yusuf's brilliance in, you know, networking and pulling projects together. We had all the ingredients there. And uh, that's that's how we started. That's how we started IERA. And we started with a massive tour through the UK. It was, I think, someone had said that the tour was actually bigger than the Beatles tour or something. <laughs> I love that. It was literally, <laughs> it was massive. <laughs> the, attendance, the, the attendance was amazing. We brought in speakers from different parts of the world. And even Zaki, like, you know, who doesn't do anything for anybody like that. He just works on his own organization. Even he, um, you know, did a video call for us, mashallah. And, yeah, that's how it started. That's how we started our era. And um, it's a lot of – it's been a lot of hard work and still is, but immensely satisfying, alhamdulillah. Very, very satisfying. MashaAllah. And, and I can attest to the impact uh, that you guys are having. And you already know, Sheikh, because uh, we actually connected together. When we when you joined, you, you, you haphazardly joined a room on Clubhouse that uh, me and sister uh, Halima de Oliveira were running for Muslim entrepreneurs. And you joined us and we had this discussion about, you know, what Muslim entrepreneurs can do during Ramadan to manage their business. And we talked about even yeah. setting your intention and your niyyah, inshallah, and all of these beautiful things. And... Uh, I remember when we when we had the discussion, and I shared with you really that, you know, I was I was so excited that you joined the room, and I, I was so excited to share with you just how much impact I ever had on my life personally. And, you know, it's interesting because, and I shared this with you as entrepreneurs, we sometimes don't realize, you know, just how many lives are being impacted. We know we see it on a, a sheet of paper, or maybe in the stats, we see the yeah. followers on Instagram, we see the followers on these platforms, you know, we see, okay, we've done, you know, we've had this many shahadas, you know, and, and this is what's happening right now. But, you know, when you hear those individual stories and you put a face to the name, then you really realize, wow, subhanAllah, like this, I, you know, that person's life completely changed. And, and it was the same for yeah. me where I was at a point in my life where I was not very close to Islam and I was actually far from Islam. And, you know, mm. gravitating back towards Islam, thanks to, you know, what Ayara was doing as well through your content, through uh, the lectures of Brother Hamzat Sorsis as well and your yep. lectures as well, uh, because you guys speak also about first principles, right? And, and really about, uh, you know, why Islam is the truth and why the Prophet yes. Sallam is a prophet, right? And and for, for a lot of people, even people that are born Muslims, this is something that they sometimes need to be reminded of, mm -hmm. right? Instead mm -hmm. of just being... Um, you know, grown up into a Muslim family and, and tell yourself, well, I'm a Muslim because my parents are Muslim. I think every person should also rediscover for themselves, why am I a Muslim, right? And, and, and why is Islam the truth? So they can really cement that. And subhanAllah, Ayra was incremental in helping me do that. So I just wanted to extend my gratitude to you, Sheikh, for doing this in your organization because it has impacted so many lives, including my own. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Jazakallah khair. And, and good news, man. 
Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, brother. And it's it's really I never I never would have you know thought that oh one day we're gonna have be having this conversation, subhanAllah. So it's 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 beautiful how the world works and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plans, subhanAllah. So I know you started this organization, you share this background where you now wanted to you know spread the message of Islam. And of course, mm -hmm. for many people as entrepreneurs, they want to start, you know, these they want to build these big visions. And you clearly had a big vision, mashallah, that you wanted to yeah. put in place. Can you share with us? I know it's hard to share the step by step, and that's not something that I, that you know we expect. But can you share with us maybe the journey that you went through, taking Ayura from just an idea to being now what it is—an international organization? What was that journey like for you? What were maybe some of the highlights within that journey? Wow. I mean, the first. I mean, okay. So the first thing was we we needed to figure out. Um, I think the key things, what we were about as, a, as an organization. So one of the things that we were pretty sure that we had to get right was our key objectives and key activities. We didn't want to do too much because if you do too much, you end up doing nothing very, very well. So we had, you know, we had some broad ideas like, yeah, we want to give doubt. We want to invite non-Muslims, but the question is how? Because this literally is you can you know I I have I had this old blog which is still you can still find it somewhere. It's called Islam's Green. It's very old. I haven't contributed. To I actually it. remember stumbling upon that and reading a few of your articles, Hanala. Yes. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it's um it's been around a long time. I just keep paying to keep it up there because there's some useful stuff. So I did this article, One Hundred and One Ways to Give Dawah, and literally like. You, there's so many different ways you could think about how to give dawah. Mm. Um, so the, the real challenge was to narrow it down to things that we thought were going to be the most effective and the most efficient. Um, so that was the first challenge. And the second thing that we decided very, very, very early on is that it wasn't enough just to give dawah and to invite non-Muslims to Islam we needed to make sure there was a support system of some form for the new Muslims. Um, because we knew that experientially that many, many people who become Muslim apostatize, they leave Islam. In, in, the, in the USA, for example, I mean, anecdotally, it may be 80% of people who take Shahada leave Islam. In the UK, it may be more like 20, 30%. But the, 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 the figures are really high. We just thought that's just not good enough. Why are we going to put all of this effort into giving dawah and then people just leave Islam? So, I mean, that's it. So I think, I guess the first thing was formulating, you know, the process that we, what, what, were, what were our core activities going to be? That was fine. Um, so what we decided very quickly was we decided that perhaps the best way was that since there are Muslim, um, you know, since there are Muslim minorities all over the world, everywhere, almost everywhere, maybe all we need to do is remind those, the Muslims, about why and how, you know, why dawah is so important, why calling non-Muslims to Islam is a very, very essential part of the deen that has been neglected and forgotten. And secondly, for those and for those people who know that already, which is many people, but they just don't know how, then we wanted to give them the how. We, we thought what we would do is we can teach ordinary Muslims how to give dawah. It's not that difficult. It's not that hard. And we had a very, very simple uh, 
you know, dower technique, which at the tour, the, the time I had called it the systematic approach to dower based upon a one day dower training course that I used to do mostly for colleges and universities, uh, which eventually became GORAP. That basically became GORAP. And that's how we started. We started going around the country, going to mosques. Um, we did this in the mosques. We basically reminded people we gave these series of talks about why dawah is so important why we need to give dawah why it's the mission of the prophets you know why people need to get involved in it along with that would come a bit of fundraising so we'd get people to you know donate to the organization uh, and then we'd come back to the same place and we'd do a whole day dawah training course so it was just using this sort of existing infrastructure um but Funnily enough, it, that wasn't our initial idea. The very, very initial ideas that we had were actually to bring on full-time du'at, not to train the masses, which is sort of where we've come back to now. So having gone through all of that attempt to create a mass movement, that's what our idea was, to create a mass movement. It didn't really work. Um, and now we sort of come back to the position where actually what we're doing is we are developing specialists, individuals who are specialists in that. But I mean, bro, it's a long, long journey. I mean, you know, it, the thing, you know, it's so hard to talk about the ups and the downs and the challenges. We had so many challenges, some really big challenges. We had a charity commission investigation take place, um, you know, basically because people, obviously atheists and people were complaining about us and they wanted to shut down. You know, subhanAllah. So um, that was really difficult. That was really challenging. But, you know, we came through that better and stronger. Um, I, I guess the other thing that we wanted to do as an organization was to um, develop good internal structures. So that was something that I think I would say that we have got to that stage now, but it's taken a long, long time. And it's really hard to find the right people. This is the other thing. Like finding the right people is really tough. Um, so when I say internal structures, all I mean is, you know, how do things work within the organization? And I think that's really, really key as well. And I think this would be true of any business. It's not just true of our, you know, social enterprise. I think the, the, the key things are being really having a good tight control of your money is very, very important. Uh, understanding the importance of the bottom line is very, very important. Like even as an organization, to be honest, we did a lot of things. Um, sometimes we did those things because that was the most effective way to raise funds, not necessarily because it was the best thing from the point of view of our actual DAO work. And it, it, I'm not saying it wasn't DAO work. It was, right? We, it's not like we were being disingenuous, right? Mm. But there are things that we did to get um, eyes, you know, eyes on the pages, you could say, or whatever they say, what the expression they use, you know, <laughs> eyeballs, get the eyeballs, right? So we did things like debates, which is not really, we didn't really feel that good about the debates from the point of view mm. we didn't really feel that was good dawa per se mm. although mashallah some people love them and i mean they're very they're great for getting people's attention you know yeah. debates people love them they love watching debates they love turning up to them yeah. so they were great from that point of view but were they really good for being a means for people to being invited to islam 
probably not yeah. you see and so there's a lot of stuff we did and a lot of the stuff that hamza did um was now now you see it's interesting that hamza has now we've set up the sapiens institute hmm. which is yeah. really focusing on the intellectual what you could call the intellectual dower which is really hamza's forte which was ne really not what i era was really set up about in the first place but it sort of became amalgamated you know within the organization and that's it like so we i say we're in a, we're probably in a position you know financially and organizationally of you know i would say we're we're in a good position we're not super strong but we're in a good position and you know that has allowed us to make some you know big tough but ultimately really really beneficial decisions so i guess there's you know i can identify a few stages you know the 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 first three years like this is what they say about any business the first three years is so hard it is right it, the first three years you know you have literally you know you got to be able to give three years of your life over to it yeah. with absolutely no compromises it's like this is going to be your life it is going to absorb your life and you're not going to have time for anything else and to be honest that's what it was like you know that's what it was like um and it's tough and and then you know you're still struggling to find yourself you're still struggling to find the best way to do things but you know if you stick at it and you and it's all it it's not there's i think there's no mystery in the process bro the the, the it's the same process that you would use when you want to get good at anything it doesn't matter whether it's playing chess whether it's a sport right whether it's learning a language whether it's studying your dean right or whether it's building a business it's all about purposeful practice 100%. And the key is purposeful practice. It's not just practice. It's practice with purpose. So you do something always with the intention of improving. And so within that is building the mindset of constant analysis. How did I do this? Did I do it in the most effective way? Did I do it in the best way? In a business, often it's the most cost-effective way that you need to be thinking about. But not only. Sometimes you need to spend the money, right? Um, so... Yeah, and it's just, I guess you just get good at it because the more you practice and the more you think about it and the more you analyze it, the better you get. And that's true with anything. And it's just the same with a business. And it is like they say, 10,000 hours of practice, you know, which is more than three years. It is. I mean, you're not going to get good at your business, you know, in three years. It's only in three years the work, you know, the workload will not be quite as bad generally. But it's going to take you maybe five years, maybe even 10 years to get really good at, you know, good at whatever it is you do. And whether if that's being an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. And you will make mistakes. We made some horrific mistakes, you know, in our, within our era. And I'm sure we'll still make some more mistakes. We are still making mistakes. But, you know, never look at the mistakes as a bad thing. You know, you as, as long as you understand it's a learning process, you know, sometimes mistakes are the most valuable things that happen. Like the Charity Commission investigation. Oh, subhanAllah, it was a blessing. It, it Talk about a blessing in disguise. It was horrific for us when it happened. Horrific. But we came out of it so much tighter, so much more disciplined as an organization. Um, and yeah, and really, it was one of the best things that happened to us in the end. Subhanallah. 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 It just yeah. did not seem like it. Subhanallah, you know, of course. Yeah, alhamdulillah.
I mean, that's the story of entrepreneurship, right? I mean, when you're facing yeah. a challenge and when you're facing an obstacle, you feel like this is it. It's yeah. uh, why am I being tested? It's kind of like, I was asked this question actually by someone else two days ago. And he's like, I'm going through a period and I just feel like, you know, I, don't, I can't see why it's good for me. And I told him, listen, man, every time, every single time I've been through, uh, you know, a challenge or I went yeah. through something that I could deem as a failure in my business or even in my life in general. I mean, well, when I, when I look back, hindsight 2020, I clearly see the picture and the plan that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had for me and where mm -hmm. he wanted to lead me to his panel. And I think we see things very clearly in hindsight, but when we go through them, maybe it's not as clear. And that's where we need to just remind ourselves that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a plan for us and that, you know, there is a lesson to be learned in every situation, or maybe this could lead us to something better. Inshallah. Yeah. There's a few things you mentioned, brother, that I want to touch upon. And again, I just want to, mashallah, just reiterate how much value you're bringing to this interview right now and to this discussion and to the people that are listening and a testament to this is everyone in the comments is just absolutely loving it. You touched upon a few things. One of them is team and building uh, an, a powerful team that can support you. I want to touch upon that a little bit because I, dream work, bro. it's, it's well, so teamwork, important. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thanks, teamwork, that's it. It's so important. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, myself, even with uh, Omar Preneur, I recently, uh, this year we started hiring. So we're now a team of three. We're still a very small organization. And as you mentioned, we're still in the first three years. So it's still a grind. To be honest, we're not very profitable, barely, right? We're just getting by yeah. and we're just working hard on building the foundation. Yeah. Um, and subhanAllah, if it wasn't for my team right now, and even just, I'm going to give them a shout out to Brother Yusuf and Sayed who are joining me and who, who are even moderating right on this podcast. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be where I am today. Like I can clearly and honestly say that. And subhanAllah, once you start building that team, you realize, wow, mm. there's so many things that I missed out on that I couldn't have achieved on my own, right? And entrepreneurship right now is uh, very much a domain where it is, uh, it is a domain that is mainly populated at the moment by solopreneurs is what they call them, right? Yeah. So people who are just getting started, uh, they're just on their own and, and, and you know, you're starting from scratch. You don't have the means to build a team. So I want to ask you for someone that's just starting from scratch, maybe they don't have the means yet, or maybe, you know, they're, they're getting close and they could possibly hire a team. What are some things to look out for? Maybe what are some things that they can do inshallah to put their, to put themselves in, in a better situation? Okay. My first piece of advice, right. Is if you can find a partner, and I don't mean like a wife here, right? But it could be your wife. Why not? But I yeah. mean, if you can, if you can go into business with someone, if you can do your, um, if you can do it not as a solo, right, but with a partnership, there's blessings in that. There's blessings in partnerships because you know there's the statement: the hand of Allah is over the jamaat. Although I don't want to go into the whole uh, explanation of that hadith, but um, it clearly has a meaning that when Muslims do things together, there's a blessing in it. The other, the other benefit of having a partnership is that, um, you know, like it always means that if one of you is really exhausted, hopefully the other person can take up the slack and vice versa. And if it was like me and Yusuf, the great thing about me and Yusuf is that we had very, very different skill sets. Um, and that we were able to balance each other out. So it worked really well. If we were both the same, it, it would have been a real disaster. But because I had some skills that Yusuf didn't have, and Yusuf definitely had some skills that I didn't have, uh, we managed to complement each other. But I, I realize that that's not always practical. But, but if you can find someone to go into partnership with, of course, partnerships can have their downsides. Of course, they can. 
they can get very complicated. They can get very messy. It worked with me because me and Yusuf were and still are like best friends. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, and obviously we have our Dean, we have the Brotherhood of Islam behind it and, you know, all those needs to make excuses for each other, you know, so alhamdulillah that helps. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, that's the first thing I would, I can't remember what the question is now, bro. All I was thinking is when you were saying solo entrepreneur, <laughs> I was thinking actually it's quite a good idea to have a partnership. What was the question, bro? Just yeah, no, definitely. Mind. SubhanAllah. And no, what you're sharing is very relevant. And the question was, yeah. I guess, for someone that is in the process of building a team, right? Yeah, uh, oh, team. And you, yeah. And you shared that, right? And you shared, a you know, team. find yourself a partner, at least, to not do it yeah, on your yeah. own, right? And, and you the found, mashallah, you built, yeah. you, built a, you built, mashallah, a superstar team, right? With uh, Brother Musa Adnan, who hosts the podcast, uh, with yeah. Rerooted, and, uh, you know, Sheikh, uh, Brother Hamza Tsortis, who is now CEO of Ayura. You have an amazing team, mashallah, behind mm. you that are, that are, and we can just see, you know, how much uh, of an amazing job they're doing. So clearly yeah, you sure. have, clearly yeah. you have that ability. You've, you've been able to pinpoint, okay, these are the people that I need and these are the roles that I need to place them in. So maybe what are some advice that you can give for us? Cause mashallah, you clearly have a, a great ability to do this. Yeah. I mean, this is such a big topic. Really it is. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, from the top of my head, don't be fooled by someone's CV and their mm -hmm. qualifications doesn't mean anything. It honestly doesn't mean anything. What is important is that people have the right attitudes. This is what is important. If people have the right attitude, people with the right attitude can learn anything and they'll apply themselves to anything and they'll make it happen. And, you know, someone may have lots of experience in the corporate world, um, but, and that can actually really, especially in a small business, it can hold them back. Now we, we've had, to be honest, in our era, we've had amazing teams. Like we've had a whole series of teams, right? Um, and Hamza's not CEO anymore, by the way, he, he now, he runs the Sapiens Institute. So okay, I'm sort of, I'm sort of semi acting CEO with a, with a sort of senior management team. We're together mm -hmm. sort of acting as the CEO at the moment. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't matter. He he was the CEO for, for 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 quite a while, for about three years, and did an amazing job, mashallah. And it's interesting that we had a series of CEOs, and each one of them has had to perform, you know, a particularly different task. So Sarkib Sattar was really instrumental in just getting the organization up and running. Um, and then we, you know, one of the very, very, and I don't say this, I don't want to get your you know, team frightened, yeah. <laughs> but um, one of the hardest things is getting rid of people who are dead wood. Mm. Like, so here's the thing is that some people may be really good for you at the beginning. They may be brilliant. They may be the dream team to start your business, but they are not the team to bring it to being something, something else. They can't take it to the next level, right? because they don't have that skill set or, you know, it, whatever the reason it may be. And look, this is the hard side. This is the really tough side of running an organization and a business is hiring and firing. And the firings, it's easy to hire, but it's not easy to fire. Um, you know, that's a really tough thing. You know, sometimes you have to get rid of people and they are good people, but they're just not good for where you need to move to. That's a very tough thing to do, right? Um, and finding the right people is really, it's not easy. 
You know, a lot of it is dua, tawakkul, you know, and it goes back to what we were mentioning before, you know, build everything upon niya. I honestly, I believe these things are almost more important than whatever interviews you can do, right? right. Mm. Is that almost like it, it really has to be that if you have a really good niya from the beginning, you know, it sets you on the right path and Allah will bless it and Allah will, and as long as you're always ready to learn from your lessons. But, you know, the repeated mistakes that we find happening within our, you know, when in my experience is bringing somebody on board based on their, just on their qualifications. Mm. And sometimes it's true. You, you don't know what else you have to go by, but it's not, it doesn't tell you anything. So what you really need to look at is a person's attitude. That's what you want. So that's the main thing. Uh, on the other hand, you can have people who have, who have great attitudes, really, really good attitude, but they just don't have the skill set. And the real problem here is that they could develop that skill set if they've got the right attitude. But you as a new business, you don't have the time and you don't have the money to, you know, to develop someone. This is the challenge as well. Right? Like in our era, we hate to let anyone go. Right. Everything we do, we, you know, we try to find a path so that they can improve, so that they can develop. You know, can we fit them in here? Can we fit them in there? We don't like to let our people go at all, but sometimes you have to, right? <clears throat> and that's it. It's a, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's a cost time analysis. It is. Have, can we afford to put this, this much time and this much money into bringing this person up to that standard at which they need to be in order to get the job done? In the meantime, what happens? Your whole organization will suffer. Everything will suffer. The work will suffer. And at the end of the day, with us, it's not our money. It's donors' money, right? The donors are not giving us money to develop people, right, and to develop, you know, and to give them improvements in their career. Donors are giving us money so that we can do the work that we have said that we're going to be doing with that money, mm -hmm. right? So you have that responsibility. It's not any different, by the way, with a business. It, yeah. The bottom line is it's your bottom line. Yeah. Like you're, you're an entrepreneur to make money. Mm. I know that's probably not your main intention. Mm. And most good entrepreneurs, I don't think most good entrepreneurs are fundamentally driven by the money. I think if money is just what it's all about, you, inshallah, you'll still make, you can still make money, but you're never really going to get a buzz out of it. And you know, it really, I mean, you know, look at these great, <laughs> the, the richest men. Yeah. Look at look at Elon Musk. He's probably the most good example. Like, is this guy driven by money? No, money is just a means to an end for him, right? Um, and so it's the same thing, right? But you do have to care about money, and you do have to realize is that that's it. Money makes the world go round. That's what it is. And if you don't have money, you're not going to be able to run a business at all. So being you know being tight with money, you know, I mean being strict with it. And not being, you know, being a spendthrift and realizing that if you're not making money, you're not going to be able to run a business or pay anyone, yourself or anybody. It doesn't make sense. So these are some of the challenges with hiring people. It's all connected to hiring people. Like I said, you can hire someone who has the right attitudes but not the right skills. You can hire someone who has the right skills but not the right attitudes. You have to – and any new – and this is the thing. The big similarity between I era probably until today is still true about us today. We are still a relatively small, tight knit team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we work at a really high, fast pace. 
Our pace is fast. Our product, our productivity is high. Our targets are massive. The things we need to achieve are so huge. So in a way, everyone has to be able to do a bit of everything. Everyone has to multitask. Everyone has to be ready to pull in. Everybody does way more than what they're paid for, right? And it's the same sort of thing in a new business. Mm -hmm. I think you'll find most entrepreneurs will expect the same sort of stuff from their staff, right? Mm -hmm. It's a particular atmosphere. So <clears throat> this is some of the mistakes that we've made before. It's bringing on corporate people who are used to working in massive organizations with massive budgets. You don't want people like that in your organization. They will just take 10 years to do something that you need to be done in a month. <laughs> We've really suffered from that mm -hmm. because, you know, they're used to working at that pace, right? You, you cannot afford to do that, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, these are the sort of things that you need to be looking for. Keeping it uh, lean and mean. Yeah. Right. Keeping it lean and mean, Rashal, is what you're is what, and I completely nice agree. Keeping yeah. it lean and mean. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where it's key, where I think, you know, you mentioned something about not having the team, you know, just based off of a CV. And I think especially if you're going to have a small team, if you have a big corporation, you say, okay, I need a specific role. This is what needs to be done. These are the requirements. Okay. But when, you know, you're, you're a small upstart uh, and, you know, you want to, as, as, as you're doing yourself, mashallah, you know, achieve, you know, a goal on a massive scale and mm -hmm. you want, you want to do so, you know, while being as efficient as possible and not only yourself, because you are a nonprofit and you want to use those funds as efficiently as possible, but even as a business, you should be aiming, as you mentioned, to be as profitable as possible, to be able to sustain yourself in the long term. And, one of the keys, and really that has been how I based my hiring decisions as well, is do they care about what your company is trying to do, right? Do they care about the mission of the organization? Do they care about the vision of the organization? And very clearly with Ayera, mashallah, you know, the people that are part of it and that are within this organization care about the mission that is behind yeah. the organization. They're not there for the money, yeah. right? And as you mentioned, there's nothing wrong with money because we all need to sustain ourselves. We need to provide for our yeah. families, our loved ones. But they care about that mission. And when someone cares about that mission, they will. that's when they start to bring those new ideas. They start to contribute in ways that someone that is just here for the paycheck just won't. They just won't. Right? SubhanAllah. And you, and you, can, give all, you, can, give, you can give someone the skills, but you can't give someone the passion. You can't give someone the passion. Well, no, I, I, you know what? I think if you're really good, you can. I mean, I think if you, if you, if you, can, you can inspire people. And, you mm -hmm. know, you can inspire people to sell toilet paper. Like, yeah. you know, why not? People right. need to wipe their butts, right? <laughs> you know, and seriously, you can inspire people to make the best toilet paper and the most comfortable toilet paper. And, you know, like there's lots of things you like. You may th not think that there's that's something to inspire, but you can, right? Mm -hmm. Honestly. Yeah. So I, I think, you you know, you can imbibe within people passion. If you have a passionate team, they will feel it. And if it's in your heart, if it's in your heart, right, mm -hmm. it goes from the heart to the heart. People will buy into it. But I mean, the point that is so important is you do need a mission. You've got to have a mission, right? You know, and it may be the mission is to have the most comfortable, you know, nicest, softest toilet paper on the planet for not a lot of money. But it's still a mission, right? It's still something you it's still something of utility, right? It's not a bad thing. We, we, you know, subhanAllah, we need people to clean our bins and to, you know, yeah. empty the trash. You know, like I respect them too much. I see these guys, I think, respect, you know, after this coronavirus, who doesn't respect delivery people? Who doesn't respect 
super supermarket uh, counter, you know, people like you got to give them respect. They've kept the they've kept our countries going while the rest of us in lockdown, right? So like there's like you can every you know like you can create passion, you know you can, um, but yeah, I mean some people they're just you know they're cold fish and it doesn't matter what you say to them, you know they just want the ch- paycheck at the end of the day. You don't want people like that, and you're yeah. you know I mean when your business is big enough, you can have people like that. It doesn't matter. But when you're starting up, no, definitely you don't. So, um, no, I think you could, but yeah, I mean, the point being mission is important. The other thing is culture. Mm. You got to, you know, these are the key things, having a mission, having a vision, uh, and that everybody shares it, even if they don't get them, you know, get them to believe in it evangelize it you know you got they've got to believe it you know i had a friend in fact he's <laughs> subhanallah he's actually on the board of our era and he used to be a manager for i think it was domino domino pizzas right and these guys would used to take all their managers to like these weekend events and like i would meet up with my friend and we would go mountain biking together and he would be literally evangelizing about how amazing domino's pizza is and you know we do this and i said Shh, i would say you just don't bring that stuff <laughs> just be no no it's really true and he would like he would believe it bro right and now he laughs at himself that he used to say that and i would say don't bring that corporate brainwash stuff <laughs> but it just the point being is that they and you know he would believe it and he would you know, we're riding our bikes and he's evangelizing. Not that Domino's pizza is bad. It's actually, it's not bad at all, really. It's actually quite nice. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, but the point being is that um, this is, you know, this is what you can do. You can create that within people. Yeah. Um, and like I said, the other thing is culture. Culture yeah. is so important. <clears throat> I want to get your it's opinion. It's really worth you thinking about as an entrepreneur, what sort of culture do you want? Right. Do you, you know, we thought about this a lot. Do we want a Google culture? Right. Do you want IBM culture? You know, like, do we want some strict, you know, you know, working conditions, you know, like, I don't know, like some German machine or something. Right. Like, yeah. you, you have to think, I mean, about why you, you know, you don't just have a Google culture because, yeah, it would be nice if we're all cool and sitting on beanbags. Yeah. And playing yeah. basketball. And, you know, like, why? If it's no use to you as an organization, just because you think it's cool. No, it's obviously you need to create a culture that is useful for what you're doing as a business, right? So we thought about that a lot. We thought about that a lot. And that's why we have a code. So we have a code, right? Code of honor. Mm. Um, And it's just like, you know, several key points that we expect everybody who works with IERA to adhere to this code. And it's it's what dictates the way we work, basically. You know, and if people are not following the code, then you don't belong in our organization, right? And that's what sets the culture. That's what sets the mindset. You know what? You know when someone's not following the code, right? You know when they're not up to the mark. It's like, where did you get that from? How does that fit into the culture of of our organization? Don't you know the code, bro? Don't you know the code system, right? So, um, you know, those types of things, you find a lot of good or good organizations have stuff like that, right? So everyone knows what you're about. Everyone knows what to expect. You know, when you join us, this is how it's going to be. Um, and yeah, so the, the, these things are really, really key. Mission, culture, um, passion, drive. Absolutely. 
Mashallah, thank you so much for sharing. And Mashallah, so many golden nuggets being shared. I'm so excited to, to, to just for people to be listening to this because I know there's so much value that they can take away from this, Mashallah. So Zakallah khair, Ya Sheikh. We have a bit of time left, so I want to squeeze in one more question before we dive into some audience questions as well because we have a list yeah, of about 20 waiting from the audience as well, Mashallah. So um, one that I want to get you, let's zoom out a little bit. And I want to get your perspective, Sheikh, because this is not something that Muslim entrepreneurs hear enough. And I would love to get your perspective on why entrepreneurship is important in the Muslim Ummah. And do should we encourage more Muslims to be entrepreneurs? Is there a benefit in that for us in the Ummah? So if we just zoom out a bit and talk about entrepreneurship and Islam in general, if that's okay. I think, you know, you just look at the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You look at Khadija, you look at the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So although he was working for Khadija, she was an entrepreneur. And you look at the Ansar, you know, the Muhajirun, when they came from, uh, you know, Mecca to uh, Medina, and their attitude was just show me the market. No, I don't, I don't want one of your wives and I don't want half your house. Just show, show me where the marketplace is, right? Mm -hmm. Even the Ansar, they loved ag agriculture. But, you know, even farming, you know, is, is a type of entrepreneurship, right? It's, it's still, you're still doing something yourself. So to be honest, um, you know, there's so many things about it that is positive. There's quite a few things that are negative about having a nine to five job from a spiritual dimension. Because, you know, like when you know your paycheck is coming through every month, it can take away quite a bit from, you know, tawakkul and from you realizing that your rizq is from Allah. Subhanahu wow. Wow. When you're an entrepreneur, you definitely feel that. There is no doubt from a spiritual perspective, you have to have tawakkul. You're going to make a lot more dua. For sure you are, right? And, you know, you are really because you're really struggling to make things happen with the permission of Allah. And, and you know, actually, I think as an entrepreneur, you see things, subhanAllah, working in your life. You see how Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, I think it's uh, uh, something very with lots of blessings in it. Actually, from a spiritual perspective, it may sound weird talking about something that is materialistic, that can have a spiritual perspective. But from, from the point of view of being a Muslim, no. We shouldn't think like that because really you know say that my prayer and my sacrifice and my life and my death is all for allah the lord of the worlds right so as a muslim hopefully we try to find ibadah in everything that we do find a way to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything we do. Obviously, from our business being halal, but more than that, you know, like I said, looking at entrepreneurship from the point of view of actual, uh, actually being a system of spiritual development, of developing your tawakkul, of increasing your dua, right? Um, and also not being a slave to someone, <laughs> right? In fact, there's a dua, um, subhanallah, uh, I know in Arabic, but I won't be able to. Um, but part of the dua is that you're asking Allah, part of the dua, part of the dua is that you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, you know, to make you independent, not, not to make you, um, you know, subhanallah, to make you independent of people, 
not to be subjected to others, not to be dependent upon others, right? So this is the beautiful thing as well about being an entrepreneur is that level of self-sufficiency and independence and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I mean, so from that perspective, yes, um, entrepreneurship is definitely um, entrepreneurship is definitely something positive. It's definitely something good. And it's definitely something that I would really encourage Muslims to, to embark upon. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, bro, about that. I put, I no, put, no, 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 I, I put it on silent. Do Brother. not disturb iPhone. I'm going to complain. <laughs> Brother, I'm, I'm just, I'm just honored that you're, you're spending that time with us, mashallah. And I know, as you mentioned, even now with all, all that you're doing, and I know Ramadan is crunch time, mashallah, for your organization. So I appreciate you taking some time to even be with us today and, you know, share with us your gems. Jazakallah khairan. And so we'll, we'll, I'll try to squeeze in one or two audience questions, inshallah, because I know I promised the audience that they're going to get to ask you some questions. So let's go ahead and squeeze in a few from you guys that are watching. So, one of the questions that I will be bringing up, and if you all have any more, please make sure to share them in the comments, inshallah, and we'll see if we can bring up a few. But one that I would like to add to bring to you, we have about 20, 30 to sort through, but I'll try to pick the ones that are going to be um, the most interesting. One of them is really nice here. It's from Sister Fauzia, and she says, as Muslim parents, we try, we try our best to teach Islam to our kids at home and send them mm -hmm. to weekend Islamic schools and weekday madrasas. We try to be a practicing family and raise our children under the folds of Islam, but we don't see that zeal or that desire in our children when it comes to Islamic practice. Where's the gap and what can parents do to fill that gap? I thought that was a very beautiful question. I struggle with the same problem myself. Mm -hmm. I think about it all the time. SubhanAllah. And I don't, I, I don't think you can. I just don't think you can do it. I mm -hmm. just don't think that you know they find it if they find it yeah. you know if allah gives them that zeal and um i i honestly don't know i wish i had an answer for this and i ask myself this question a lot and i look at my kids and i think it's clear to me that for most of them they don't have that same you know that same drive and that same passion for islam as me and my wife you know we both are both very very sort of what can i say we have that sort of zeal um and the kids are like proud to be muslim and it's Im hugely important for them yeah. but do they have that passion and zeal and commitment they don't um you know i i i always tell my kids i'm here you want to ask me anything about islam i don't sit down and give them regular dorses i don't do anything like that but if you want to know i'm here like that's up to you. You make the decision. I'm ready. Like if they want to ask me, I will sit down with them, but they, it has to come from them for me. And I'm not saying that you should do that, by the way. I question myself the whole time, like the way I've brought up my kids. Um, have I done it the right way? I mean, interestingly, for, from my perspective, I've spent a lot more effort um, getting my kids involved in all sorts of other stuff you know, like getting out in the countryside, you know, mm. mountain biking, um, just activities, developing themselves. I, I've spent way more energy in that type of stuff because my fear for them is almost more that those things will lead them away from Islam. Like if I don't give them that stuff, they're going to look for that stuff somewhere else, right? Do you understand? So my thinking is, um, maybe my thinking is a little bit, uh, maybe it's, I don't know if it's negative, but from the point of view of I, I'm more I, like, yeah, I'm more worried that stuff is going to take them away from the dean 
then I am worried about that instilling within within them that passion. But I mm. do think one thing, and I always and I say this again and again. I say one of the things that we do need to raise our kids with is the mindset, what I call the dower mindset. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it will give your kids a passion for Islam, but I tell you what I really do believe it will do. It will shift your kids from, from being people with an inferiority concept uh, com complex, right? See, I think a lot of the Muslims, a lot of the Muslims are consciously or unconsciously suffering from massive inferiority complexes. They come from countries that economically, uh, educationally, politically, militarily, uh, culturally even, I would say, are backward compared to the West. Extremely backward. And for most people looking at it, they don't feel that that's something to be proud of. There are a few things, maybe family values, you know, and maybe the food, right? Uh, but really, there's not much else, right? Maybe some morals, but even those things are rapidly slipping. Um, so what is it? Like, you, so Muslims come and they go, to, uh, they're living in the West and they're looking and they're thinking everything almost that they can see seems to be superior. So how are they going to feel? How are they going to feel? Um and even very often as parents, we drive them towards goals that are not Islamic goals. They're, they're goals that the society presents. So what is the cure for this? I believe the cure for this is, you know, imbibing within your kids the mindset that you are ambassadors. Your job is in one way, shape or form somehow to let your friends, your the, the guys you go to school with, whoever it may be you interact with, they need to know about Islam because ultimately that's what salvation is. Salvation in the next life, even in this life, it is through submitting themselves to Allah and worshiping him alone. And I think that that just that itself will transform your kids from being having an inferiority complex to saying, we've got something precious. We've got this gift of the Quran. We've got this gift of Islam. And yeah, we may not have you know, we may not be sending, you know, rockets to Mars, but does that matter? We have this truth that Allah has revealed that is the means of success in the next life. So if you, if they understand that and they understand that, you know, they have the duty to convey this message, it will give them a sense of purpose, a sense of pride. Not, not necessarily don't let them have a sense of full superiority looking down upon everyone that's not right either right but it's giving them a mission in life and understanding that they do have a mission in life so well can i tell you how to give them that zeal mm, maybe you know we could think about that probably you could we could have sort of we could do what the christians do and have these summer camps and like get them all evangelized and, like, <laughs> thing, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know it, it would probably work as well maybe we should do that stuff um <laughs> but i i don't you know i don't really have easy answers for you that's a question i ask myself a, a lot but one thing I do always tell my kids is we always say, Dawa, 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 it's your job. You know, you've got to tell your friends about Islam. Like, no, maybe not directly, but, you know, you do, you know, you have that duty, right? And just giving them that mindset, that's, that's huge.
Do we have time for one more that we can squeeze in, inshallah? All right, all right, alhamdulillah, because this is so good. up to you, bro. Alhamdulillah, this is so good. I, uh, trust me, if we could, I would stay on this all day, but I want to respect your time as well, inshallah. We got one more from the audience that I'd like to highlight. This one is, Shaykh, any advice for Muslim entrepreneurs who want to engage in da'wah? Where should they start? Or what's the simplest way for them to give da'wah? So yeah, maybe some, some advice for Muslim entrepreneurs who would like to take part in this, inshallah. I mean, the potential for Muslim entrepreneurs obviously is huge, mm. right? I mean, entrepreneurs generally, obviously, especially successful ones, are by virtue very inspirational figures, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, we can see the impact. Maybe you know, Muhammad Ali. Maybe you wouldn't call him an entrepreneur, but you know, even as a, a, a sporting figure, many people you know have that inspirational value. But I think, look, my advice wouldn't be different to entrepreneurs to anyone else. You know, start by doing our DAO training course in IERA. Go to IERA, just type in IERA training and do start by doing the DAO training course. It's a beautiful, really simple and really shown to be very effective way of giving DAO and start by doing that. And then hopefully maybe you can get involved with, um, you know, IERA teams across the world, wherever you may be. Um, and just participate in activities and develop your skill set in Dawa, just like anything else. It's like, like you know, by the way, I don't say this, I don't want to corrupt your intentions. <laughs> I don't want to corrupt your intentions, but I'll tell you something if you can sell Islam, you can sell anything. Mm. So I'm not trying to say you should learn Dawa because it will make you a great salesman, but it will, right? Because the skill sets that you need to employ are pretty much the same. It's a lot to do with empathy, like a good salesman, right? You know, I mean, what they're only going to sell something to someone they know who needs it, right? A good salesman is not going to hoist something upon someone who has no need for it, because that's just really corruption, right? But obviously, everyone needs Islam, right? Everyone, whether they know it or not, they need Islam, right? And so the skills that you are going to develop in giving dawah are skills that you can use in all of your life, right? Especially as an entrepreneur. So I think it would be very natural for a da'i to be an entrepreneur and for an entrepreneur to be a good da'i because a lot of the skills that you're using are the same. Maybe it's just a question of, you know, understanding what's the most effective process, you know, like, so that's what we teach in iERA. Like, it's not like we can't really teach you to be empathetic and to be a good listener, which is so key, and all those other good manners and good akhlaq, the very important things, right, when you're giving da'wah. And remember, Islam was spread in Malaysia and Indonesia, right? By who? But basically entrepreneurs, by traders, yeah? Okay, so, you know, by, you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a big advocate of the best dower is manners. I could knock that whole argument down. I think it's a, it's not a good argument and it's not true. It's actually just mm. not true. But if you don't have good, if you don't have good manners, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be any good at dower. Like it's a prerequisite, but I don't think good manners on their own is dower. Right. But certainly, you know, the prophet said that the honest trader is on a high level, like with the prophets, right so like a huge high level because it's so difficult to yeah. you know be a trader and be honest and so that's something that people will notice you know it, having those good characteristics um of honesty and truthfulness and, and not pulling the wool over people's eyes and so on it makes it a lot tougher as an entrepreneur right 
but you know that's the sort of standards that we should have for ourselves inshallah Definitely, definitely. Just like Allah, I have one more, inshallah, that I'd like to share with you. And this one is a question that we ask every guest, so I'd love to get your perspective okay. on it as well. Um, but we just actually asked the audience, they'd like you to stay on to answer more questions. And we're see and if so, to drop a hashtag, mashallah, and we're seeing a lot of them come up right now. So uh, I know the audience wants you to stay. So maybe we'll try to squeeze in one extra one for the audience, if that's okay with you, inshallah. I know I'm extending here my uh, my promise time, but uh, mashallah, this, we're, people are loving it and and they're absolutely you know enjoying everything you're sharing, mashallah. So one is, what what could you share, or what would you share? What is something that you could tell, you know, Abdul Rahim Green, young Abdul Rahim Green, mm. that's just getting started. You know, he's still maybe in speaker's corner. He hasn't yet created Ayera. It's, it hasn't been built, yeah. and you could tell him one thing to hold on to as he goes through his entrepreneurial journey, inshallah, that he could hold on to just to keep in mind. And I love asking that question to people because it inspires our, our entrepreneurs that are listening. You know, the only thing, I know it's going to sound like, oh, that's just so boring. Like everyone must have said this. But honestly, <laughs> the, only, the only thing I can really think of, honestly, the only thing I can really think of that I would say that every one of us throughout our life journey is that we have to hold on to, I mean, and I mean this every day, all day, as much as you can, is the whole issue around ikhlas. It really is, honestly. Honestly, the whole issue of sincerity, developing sincerity, trying to be sincere, checking your intentions, it honestly, I think it is the, probably if there was one thing that is the most important thing, that's it. Mm really honestly and i think that if your intentions are really good if you really are sincere even then your actions will be good because like obviously being sincere about something is not enough because in islam your action has to be correct but i think if you're really really sincere you'll make sure your actions are correct anyway it will drive you to make sure that you do things in the right way so ultimately that's it i think just trying to keep keep checking your intentions because i think apart from anything it keeps you humble as well you know like it, it keeps you in check it, it does so that's yeah hysteria. yeah no. that's it really yeah mashallah well that's beautiful i love that that's actually never been shared before so just to let you know so that's a beautiful i, couldn't uh, think, I can't think what possible <laughs> thing there is that is that we've had is. so many but all of them have been so unique yeah. and so beautiful mashallah and this one hasn't yeah. been shared before so i appreciate you sharing that and and uh you know just people that that listen to this they can hold on to it and remember okay sincerity ikhlas let me hold on to this on my journey inshallah so i'm going to squeeze in one last one inshallah just as a little um but a little, a little show of gratitude to all that have dropped a hashtag mashallah in the audience and that are still watching with us. We have over, you know, 30 people, mashallah, the most we've ever had on this podcast live and even hundreds that will watch as well. So I really appreciate all of you that are watching and appreciate you, Sheikh, for, for being with us here today. Um, the last question that I have for you, and it's also from the audience, inshallah, um, and this is within your specialty. So I thought I would highlight it. So sometimes we need, we meet people briefly, whether it's in flights or while waiting in line somewhere, mm -hmm. or even friends that we have, and we're going to have conversations with them. How do we open up that conversation of, of da'wah and of Islam with them in a few minutes, right? So Such it can raise their curiosity now. Such a good question. Mm. And honestly, make du'a. Mm. That's it. 
Like when I really get this vibe, I want to give someone dawah. I am begging Allah because you know, look, listen, Allah does not need you to give dawah. I I know stories of people who have been guided to Islam by reading an encyclopedia. No Muslim talked to them. They never met any Muslim. And like many stories like this of people who have come to Islam with no one giving them dawah. And that's fantastic, but it's also very sad because some Muslim missed the opportunity. <laughs> you know? And so the thing is, we, we're the ones who need to give dawah. Allah doesn't need us to give dawah. We're the ones. So it's like, this is for you. This is your opportunity to earn so much reward. So when you get the vibe, you just got to make dua. Allah, please. You know, find me a way. Let me find a way to start this conversation, right? To give this person dawah. And you know, if your if your dua is really sincere, you, the conversation will just happen in a way that is going to lead you to be able to give dawah. You know, mm -hmm. so honestly, that is my biggest biggest um, advice to you. Don't forget dua. You know, and and if that's what you want to do, you want to make dawah, then just keep keep making dua that Allah finds a way for you to give dawah to the people that you want to give dawah to. MashaAllah. JazakAllah khairan. Yeah, Sheikh, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today and sharing your time so generously with us. And look, I mean, we're going to be frank here. We're still a small upstart. We don't have a huge audience. We're out here working with a few Muslim entrepreneurs. But you took the time and you spoke to me on Clubhouse. And you're like, you know, what? I love what, what you're doing. And I want to support Muslim entrepreneurship. And I invited you and you so graciously agreed to come on. So I want to really Abby, just... listen, bro. Please. You're not an upstart. You're a startup. <laughs> you know what's an upstart? Please go for it. Sure. An upstart, it's a cheeky little person, yeah. <laughs> Someone very small and in, you know, like and who 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 is standing up making trouble. That's an upstart. You're you're a startup. But no, <laughs> you said it a few times when I was thinking, yeah, maybe he is an upstart. <laughs> 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 I love that, mashallah. I love that. I love that. Well, look, um, thank you for correcting me. You know, here in the, we actually mix, we, 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 here in North America, we mix up both. So sometimes we use upstart, sometimes we use startup. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, we don't really differentiate, but I, I can clearly see how it can get confused. Maybe in the UK, it's clearly different. So I apologize yeah, for that. <laughs> it's, my, it's, my, it's my private school, um, but, you know, my private school education, bro. Reading Dickens and Shakespeare. <laughs> We just, we just have to remind the North Americans about where English came from. And exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're still so, subhanAllah, one thing that I want to say about that, you know, when you uh, when we travel, because I you know I'm born and raised in Canada, and you travel to all these other countries, and you see all of this amazing history and culture, and, and then you come to Canada, and it's like a hundred year old country. There's no history, there's no culture yeah. here, right? Well, they just, I mean, subhanAllah. There, yeah. there have been Native Americans living there for quite a while. Of course, time. exactly, exactly. And we ju they just came and, you know, we all know what, what happened there, yeah. subhanAllah. Um, but, you know, Jazakallah khairan, Sheikh, for, for coming on, for, so for being much. here. What, what, where, can we, where can we direct people, inshallah, to support you or even, even to go and learn more about IRA? I know you mentioned training.ira.org, so we'll put that up, yeah, inshallah, sure. in the description as well. Yeah, Is there anything, anywhere else that we can direct people? And obviously, guys, you know, like it's Ramadan, please support the dawah. Ayur is always, subhanAllah, like I always say, as much money as you can give us, we can spend it for the sake of Allah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like just yesterday we were doing an appeal for um, leaflet, a Jesus leaflet for South America. And we, we realized there's 650 million people in South America. And yeah. people there actually still read, not like in, you know, not like in the West. And so, subhanAllah, there's so much work to do, guys. So um, if you can support us, um, 
please do inshallah you can see the link there you can go go to aira.org and and thanks for that giving me that opportunity as well of course of course and uh i'm gonna make sure to drop the links in the description so guys please go ahead and check that out and we'll drop all the links right away i'll make sure my team has uh shared all these links everywhere inshallah sheikh abdurrahim you i'm so grateful jazakallah khair for being here it's been an honor. Thank you guys so much for attending. Our viewers, thank you for being here and watching, asking your questions, engaging. I appreciate you all. Jazakumullah khair. And please benefit from these last 10 days of Ramadan. Go ahead and make sure that you focus a little bit more on your ibadah and try to gain that blessing. Try to catch that Laylatul Qadr, inshallah, so that we can all gain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness in these blessed days. Jazakumullah khair for watching. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam.